You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. Usually the data science team is implementing something with a line of business partner. So you're implementing something in marketing and sales, or you're implementing something in manufacturing, right? So you have a a business partner that you're implementing it with. And frequently the business partner is helping define the impact to their organization. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Secrets of Analytic Leaders. With the growing popularity of machine learning and artificial intelligence, creating a data science program is a key initiative at most companies today. However, it's not always clear to executives how they can deliver a return on investment in data science. We are fortunate to have with us today someone who has spent most of his career in the data science trenches and has a clear-minded perspective on how to deliver ROI with data science. Alan Jacobson is a 25-year veteran of Ford Motor Company, where he held a variety of leadership roles in engineering, marketing, and sales. Most recently, as Chief of Data Analytics, where he led a team of data scientists driving digital transformation efforts across the enterprise. Six months ago, Alan switched sides and became a Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Alterex, a leading provider of data analytics solutions. Internally at Alteryx, Alan leads the company's data science, data management, data governance programs, and externally, he works with Alteryx customers to accelerate their data and digital transformation initiatives. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thanks, Wayne. It's great to be here. So let's dive right in. First question, should teams calculate the ROI from their data and analytics projects? Uh, it's, it's a great question. It comes up frequently. And, and I'll tell you that I think to have a great culture of analytics, it is important to be measuring what you're doing. Um, I think uh, really great analytics projects are like black belt projects. You, you put a change in and then you measure, did it have the effect that you want it to have? So from that standpoint, I do think it is important for teams uh, to have that mentality when they approach projects. Certainly there'll be some projects that aren't measurable. You just know it's the right thing to go do and then you, you put in a quick fix. Um, but but most projects, I think, teams should be approaching them like a Six Sigma, Black Belt, Demaic kind of a project where they really do measure the effects. They have a baseline. They know, they know what things look like before, and then they measure what happened after. That said, I do think it's important that organizations don't simply measure the value of a data science team by the ROI. Um, different organizations in the company Uh, are functioning in very similar ways, finance, HR, uh, IT. And I don't believe most organizations today question what is the ROI of their HR organization or what's the ROI of their finance organization. And I would hope, if not already, very soon we get to a point that organizations recognize the value of having data scientists and the data science team and know that that's just a requirement and aren't looking just solely at an ROI piece of the equation as the reason why they have one. Right. And, you know, maybe ROI is not the right way to measure the value of a data and analytics team or project. Uh, is there Are there other ways that you would recommend, or is, or is that the best? I mean, certainly that's a way that you can measure value is, is looking at the projects that are being implemented. But I think there's so many broader things that happen when you have a data science team. I 
think it it changes frequently the types of conversations that are happening, the way people are looking at problems. And and frequently it's it's something where the data science team may be educating other teams, changing their behaviors, and then those other teams are getting better outcomes. And that's very difficult then to measure because the data science team isn't necessarily now the one that's implementing the the, the project or the action. It's the team that they've they've educated and, and helped uh, move down that data science continuum. So at the end of the day, I, I don't think it's the only measure, but it's certainly a measure. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, a lot of analysts and data scientists, they get enthralled with their own insights and kind of lose sight of, you know, what impact they might have on the business. Now, I don't know if ROI is the right way to guide them and steer them towards business value, but have you seen that tendency? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are different scales of projects that teams work on. I've seen teams that go off and they create dashboards. I've seen teams that go off and create PowerPoint presentations with insightful pieces of information and PowerPoints, and most of their day-to-day is creating PowerPoint decks. I've seen organizations where the majority of their time they're creating models and implementing models. And at the end of the day, I, I believe that there are near-term quick wins that are small and impactful. There are huge projects that are very transformative in nature, change the business processes within a company. I think there's a, this wide spectrum of, of things in the portfolio of what data science organizations do. And I think world-class data science organizations do a full blend of all of those things. And, and I don't think it's one or the other. I think think at the end you want to be doing both. So um, you want to have these very impactful, transformative uh, engagements within the company that aren't necessarily measurable in simple ROI measurements, because you're really just changing the entire way that business is being done. You had mentioned Lyft more than ROI, and I know a lot of data science teams and some of the new platforms actually calculate Lyft if you want them to. So is that a better measure than ROI? And if you were to calculate ROI, how would you even do that? Yeah, so there are many different ways you can look at this. Sometimes you have a before and an after. So your salespeople are getting a certain conversion rate and you implement some new data science piece and the conversion rate increases and you assign a value of what that lift, what that better conversion rate is worth. And that becomes basically your ROI is how much added value have you contributed to the organization with this new process. Sometimes you're automating a process and it took X number of hours to do something before. And now that you've digitized the process and um, made it more automated, you've, you've reduced the time to do it and the time has some value to it. You ascribe a value to what that time is worth. And again, you get a return on investment. It took a certain amount of time to, to build this automation and now you're saving an amount of time. So there are lots of different ways that you can measure these things, but there are many times that you implement things that you're just not going to even bother to measure. You've, you've provided an insight to the organization and fundamentally you're doing that on an ongoing basis and it's changing the way they're doing business, but you don't have a a straightforward way to measure it. You took friction maybe out of the system. Sometimes we measure it 
with smiley face metrics. You know, we had survey scores that said people are unhappy because they can't get data or, or answers uh, to questions and you implement something and they're now happy and they can get answers to questions. And that's a, a measure, but you're probably not gonna put a value to that. Have you ever hired someone just to calculate the value of data science projects? And I asked because I read a case study yesterday of BBVA, which is a large global bank headquartered in Spain. And they wanted to kickstart their analytics program. And so they actually created a separate legal entity to do data and analytics that helped them create the culture that they wanted, attract the talent that they needed. Uh, but they were, you know, a for-profit entity, and they had to generate money by monetizing data and analytics. So they actually did hire someone, I guess you would call a CFO, and he came up with a variety of metrics. Most weren't ROI, some were just more of the smiley face nature. <laughs> but they did have someone to, to really focus entirely on the value of what was being produced. And I thought that's a very compelling thing to do, and I would recommend it to our clients, except I know most of them wouldn't do it. Uh, maybe if they're a legal spinoff and a for-profit entity, they would. But uh, I'm just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think there's a, a middle ground, which is most organizations have finance departments, finance organizations. And I have certainly seen where the analytics team will implement you know, a major project and calculate an ROI, but to really put the stamp of, of we concur and this is a number that you can actually say is real, you have your finance team review the work, review the analysis, and be the independent you know, auditor, if you will, uh, to put the approval on that was the financial impact of doing this thing. And you know, I think that I've seen that more than actually adding incremental people to do this. And you could argue that is the skill set of what a, a finance team is, is doing for an organization. They're the independent third party looking at the financials flowing through the pipes, working with the operation. So the way that I've seen this done and that I've done it in the past is, is really partnering with the organization that is skilled at doing that and is viewed as independent because if the data science team is creating what the numbers are, you could argue that there would be a bias in that. They want to show large ROI. And so are they biased in, in their analysis of it? Um, I, and so having an independent arm as part of it, I think, is a healthy thing. So the data science team still has to do the calculation. And maybe, maybe they get finance to help them figure out how to even do that in the first place. <laughs> It's actually three parties. Usually the data science team is implementing something with a line of business partner. So you're implementing something in marketing and sales, or you're implementing something in manufacturing, right? So you have a, a business partner that you're implementing it with. And frequently the business partner is helping define the impact to their organization. And the data scientist might be good at helping calculate before and after and lift and those sorts of things because that fits with the skill set of the data scientist. But it's usually the line of business with the data scientists say, hey, this is what we think the before and after and the, the ROI is. And then they would bring that to the third party, the audit committee, right? That's the finance analyst to look at that math and look at what they're suggesting has happened and be the third party stamp of approval on it. 
Yeah, so finance acts as the auditor in, in a sense. But how many teams have you worked with or managed that actually took that extra step to do that calculation in the first place? Because it seems to me most teams are under a lot of pressure and they're moving from one thing to the next or fighting fires. And the last thing they have time for is to do a financial calculation. Yeah, so I've certainly seen it on some of the bigger projects, and I hear it more and more. I mean, I I, I just was talking to someone at a at a bank in Canada um, that runs the data science organization there, and and he, you know he talked about um, the value, you know, the average value of each project they work on is about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of of value of return, and they try to complete them in less than six months. And and so a, a lot of teams are thinking in these constructs of, hey, I don't want to work on this thing unless I can write down how much it's worth, and I'm going to go through a process of of vetting that before actually kicking off the work. I mean, many data science teams do suffer from the fact that they have skills. Hey, I can produce charts and graphs and pretty PowerPoints and all sorts of things. And if there's no constraint, are you basically going to get a lot of requests more than you can actually fulfill? And how do you know which one to work on? Are, am I working on the highest value stuff? So I think more and more teams are thinking in this value construct. Now, how precisely they try to calculate what the ROI is, I think that varies from team to team. But I do think more and more teams are, are thinking about ROI. So they're calculating ROI in advance as a way to prioritize their projects. Correct, correct. And then when you go implement it, um, again, a healthy construct is you're, you're inquisitively with a scientific process asking yourself, did I just have the effect that I hypothesized I would have? I, th I thought this was going to save people a bunch of time let's now go look, is it actually saving them any time? And, and I think that's a healthy, a healthy piece of why you should look at ROI. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of scientific sense, right? Um, measure your hypotheses. But you said earlier that you kind of wish that, uh, in some respects, that data science didn't have to prove itself, just like other parts of the business don't, at this point in time, have to justify their own existence. So what does it take to get to that point? And if you do get to that point where the business just kind of wholeheartedly endorses you as a key piece of the business, do you lose anything by not going to this scientific testing of your hypothesis as we just talked about? Yeah, again, what, what I would love to have happen is that effectively the business wasn't requiring it. That doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't still be doing it, but you're doing it for what I would consider the right reasons. You're doing it, whether it's to help prioritize work, you're doing it to ensure that the effect that you're having on the business was what you thought it was going to be. Hey, I thought this was going to increase profitability, not measuring it, not only after you implement it, but maybe six months later, a year later, it's still having the impact it was supposed to have. These are all healthy reasons to be measuring ROI. Um, to think that, hey, should we even have a data science organization? It, you know, how much how much did it return for me in the last 15 minutes? If that's why we're measuring it, I just feel like we probably aren't in the right 
place um, on the digital transformation journey as a company if that's what we're doing. That would be, right. in my mind, tantamount to saying, hey, HR, I haven't really seen a good ROI in the last six months. I'm thinking we should just get rid of HR or <laughs> finance, or right? And, and you laugh at that, but I've actually seen organizations implement data science organizations and then come back and question Hey, uh, we're not seeing the ROI we want. Maybe you know, maybe that we, that was a mistake. We just shouldn't do that. And and that I think is the wrong reason to be measuring ROI. But but let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is I've heard a lot of stories lately about data science teams that have been started and didn't deliver any value that the company could see and were then abandoned, uh, maybe for the reasons you just mentioned. And I think a lot of it's because the data science team doesn't know how to deliver business value. That could be part of it. But have you heard these things and seen that? Yeah, certainly I've 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 seen that. But and and I would argue you see that in other areas. You know, are, are have companies had organizations or leaders that weren't delivering the value that they wanted out of those organizations, and therefore, I would suggest in general they don't delete the organization. They find new leaders, new ways of doing what they're doing, right? I mean, they change their processes or their people or their technology in those areas to remedy the issue. It's not a question of whether you should or shouldn't be doing that thing, that function. It's maybe how you're doing it needs to change because you're not getting the outcome that you want. Um, so yes, I, I do think different data science organizations are delivering at different levels of efficacy. Um, and, and again, ROI could be a measure, but, you know, I would hope that it's not because you're proving whether data science is a good or a bad thing. I, I think most of the world has decided we need more data science in our organizations, not no data science in our organizations. So we're talking about data science here, and you've led data science teams uh, in the past at Ford and elsewhere. Uh, it kind of begs the question, uh, because data science is so sexy, it delivers huge returns when done right. Is there any value anymore from delivering plain old reports and dashboards? Uh, it's a great question. I, I think people sometimes, and, and maybe the mistake has been these slides that show things as a pyramid that make it feel like or seem like one thing is more important or less important than another thing. So usually in a in a typical analytic project you do a bunch of you know data janitorial services you're data munging grabbing data from lots of places wrangling it all around and frequently very early in the process although not always you're visualizing the data you're looking at what it looks like and the patterns and in some way or another creating a report or a visualization of the data and then it's some percentage of projects, you'll build maybe some some models around it, and whether it's predictive, you're trying to figure out kind of what what would happen next in a process, um, or 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 some other modeling variation, understanding correlation, causality, sorts of things. You're you're doing something more in that vein, and then ultimately, for many projects, you might get to a prescriptive nature. Um, based on the data, it's it's forcing a next best action to occur. So I'll use an example of a project. We, let's say, are looking at a machine that's having issues and someone brainstorms the idea kind of in the predictive analytics space. Um, 
hey, wouldn't it be great if we could analyze the data on this machine and uh, tell a service technician, hey, you should head over to that machine because it looks like it may have a problem coming up here in the next 30 minutes. So let's do some predictive maintenance. And so you could jump right to predictive analytics. You could say, we're going to take the data, we're going to build a model, we're going to prescriptively send a text message to the operator and have him go to that machine and maintain it. And we're going to skip the whole visualization step. And I would argue even to get to that pre prescriptive model, you probably did some visualizations to look at the data. But let's, let's just pretend you, you took all the data and you jumped right to building a model and it all worked and you sent a text message and the person arrives at the machine. Is there any value in actually doing more of that PowerPoint insight graphs and charts and looking at all of this data? And I would suggest that there, there could be huge value. Maybe if we looked at the data and really tried to get insight from the data, we might see a pattern of what was causing the machine to go down. And we could actually fix the real root cause. So instead of just getting the operator to get there ahead of time so that he could you know, get it to be working, we could actually figure out, well, the reason why this machine keeps going down is the pattern is every time uh, Bob is on the line, that's what causes this machine to go down. And so maybe we have a training issue here. And really what we need to do is train Bob the right way to use this piece of equipment. And we won't even have this issue anymore. And so if you simply stopped at the model and the text message and the prescriptive analytic, and you never created the visualizations and the insight and did that other step, you might have missed actually the bigger opportunity. And in this case, they're in reverse. The insight and the visualization, that one-off insight where you actually then go fix the problem and you don't really need a model or anything prescriptive could actually be worth more, have a higher return than creating the model and the prescriptive analytic. So these things happen in both directions. Sometimes the prescriptive thing and the modeling piece is the bigger value. And frequently it is. Uh, sometimes the descriptive pieces are the larger piece of the value. And in most cases, they work in concert with each other. It's not one or the other, you're doing both. Uh, that's interesting. I, I always thought that the optimization of the process came after the remediation or the fix, but I guess you're arguing that oftentimes the optimization may come prior because you're analyzing exactly what happened in that analysis, doing that root cause investigation, uh, uh, on reveal something uh, that's bigger than just the fix. So yeah, I mean, I, I think these are they're they're all tools in the toolkit of a of a strong data scientist. They have all of these tools: descriptive, predictive, prescriptive, all these different ways that they can try to solve problems. And I don't think it's, uh, you know, if, if you went to an auto mechanic and you said, which is better, the wrench or the screwdriver? Should you just have one in your toolbox? I'm pretty sure they'd say, no, 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 I need all of these tools. And while some might be more used and some are less used, they're all important and they're good for different things. So I hate when we kind of try to rank these. And, and, and it's a frequent conversation I have with people, you know, is the modeling more important? If you're building out a team, do you need more modelers than descriptive folks? Do you need people that kind of do all of it? What, what's the right makeup of a team? And in the end, the reality is I think a strong team is a diverse team that have capabilities across all of these different areas. And the key is knowing when to use which tool, just like the mechanic in the auto shop. 
Right. Well, let me perhaps take you out of your comfort zone for a second. So another dimension of reporting is good old-fashioned KPI reporting, where mm-hmm. you are measuring performance that's already happened in the past, and you're trying to understand how close you came to the goals you set for that activity or domain using the metrics you've defined or the KPIs. Is there still value in that when we have all these cool advanced analytics tools and predictive models and prescriptive capabilities? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the computer and all of the modeling that that data scientists create are still no match for for what the human brain can do. And so giving, giving the humans that are in the loop, the humans in the process, the ability to better see uh, what's happening in, in their business, I think is still critically important. Um, and so I, I do think that that's a big part of it. One of the areas, and, and, and this will give an example, I think of, of how for most companies, it's frequently one of the first steps of the process, not again, not always, but frequently, is that you know they'll they'll say hey we have all this data but the data is messy it's never it's never perfect data and one of the things that i find is that in order to sometimes build the models and do the more advanced things the first thing that you really frequently need to do is expose the data make it visible let them see the kpis and what happens is now that they're using the data they're they're working it the data starts to get cleaner because now the data matters and so it's very frequent that Early on in the process, the KPIs and the dashboards and the reports serve as a mechanism to help clean it up, gain really great understanding of what's going on, and that can then lead you to these these other steps where you then get more into the modeling and, and automation of things. Well, that describes most of our clients who just really wanted to KPI dashboards. They, they just can't even foresee doing anything more advanced than that. But their data is so uh, messed up. Messy. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of these are Very global. There are, a lot of these are global companies that were decentralized and now are trying to centralize with some global standards and KPIs, and they have no central standard master data or standard applications and processes across all their disparate uh, operating groups, and pulling all that together is just extremely painful. So we go in there to help build a data strategy, and we we come in and come out uh, helping them do data governance and MDM. (laughs) <laughs> so that <laughs> and in that space I, and, and this this ties back to that ROI equation I've seen many groups go out and make their mission simply cleaning up the data and you know it's a real problem in many businesses and certainly cleaner data is in general better but I would actually argue in general it's easier to clean up the data if you actually come up with a problem you want to solve start trying to exercise the data to solve the problem. And now you are incentivized when the data is messy and getting in the way of solving the problem that you really want to solve, you're incentivized to clean up the data. As opposed to what I've seen many organizations do is they simply state the problem is to clean up the data. And it becomes much harder to convince people the value of cleaning up the data, why they should clean it up, because they're not doing it in the spirit of actually solving a pain point in the business. They're doing it simply for the reason of, Cleaner data is better data, and frequently, I mean, I, I haven't met a data source where every you know every piece of data is 
perfect in the data set. The real question is, is it good enough to solve the problem that you're trying to solve? And once it's good enough, I actually don't really want to spend any more time cleaning it up because I've got plenty of other things in my business that, that are worth more of my time than simply cleaning up something for the sake of cleaning it up. Well, it's true. Uh, a lot of people, especially in IT, their their first inclination is to make a project out of cleaning the data because that's where the pain that the business is experiencing. But I had this conversation with a client yesterday. You know, do we have an initiative to clean the data and improve data quality? Or do we have an initiative to develop KPIs for the manufacturing sector of the company? And in so doing, use that, as you say, as an exercise to clean the data. Well, well, I would actually go one further. I would say, hey, what if we had really great KPIs, and I'll, I'll make it up in this case, um, to drive better uptime in our manufacturing facility. You know, our, our working hypothesis is that if we had better visibility and better KPIs, we would get better uptime. That, like, that would be kind of the reason we're doing it. And so we'll start to create a dashboard and get this the stuff more visible to the team, but we're actually going to measure when we turn this on, is the uptime getting any better? Because our hypothesis is the reason ultimately we're doing this is to provide better visibility so that the uptime improves. And then when you have messy data that's in the way or different things, you, you, know, you work on that, but you work on that for the reason that uptime is worth money. <laughs> that, that's valuable and people would be willing to spend time if it truly impacted uptime. So then that ties back again, you're trying to now measure something that has value to it. Right, yeah, I can, can totally concur on that. All right, so last question, you, you had mentioned uh, man and machine, <laughs> uh, and I have to bring this up. I was at a data science conference uh, earlier in the year, and the major theme that I took away from that was, why would you ever trust a human ever again to make a, a decision, <laughs> right? <laughs> Machines are so much better than humans at making most decisions. So run your business on algorithms and data and you'll be much more profitable, efficient, and effective. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little torn. They made a good case, but there's also a good case to say, you know, machines augment humans. So I'm wondering where you stand on this issue. Yeah, I mean, I, certainly there are some very mundane tasks that the computer will be much better at than, than the human's going to be better at. If I need to um, calculate how many boxes are going to fit into a, an ocean container, and I've got 10,000 shipments every day, and I need to do these calculations to figure out the quantities of boxes per shipment. Do I, you know, do I want a human with a calculator trying to calculate this, or would I rather have a computer do it? I mean, there's no question about how I would want that to work. If I'm trying to figure out you know, maybe the pricing of my product, and there are lots of different factors going on, and maybe I've even built some models to try to help me through that decision-making process? Would I want a human in the loop of that? Because there are so many factors, things can happen. I might want a human overseeing this process. And I would argue that in many, many processes, um, that, that kind of stuff is necessary. And so I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a one is better than the other. I think there are certain circumstances where everybody would agree that's just a great task for 
for a computer algorithm to do. And in many cases, it's completely a human algorithm. And in many cases, the human can oversee or augment um, the computer process. So I don't think it's one or the other. I think the answer is there are many different cases where you would pick these different paradigms. Right. No, and, and I would agree. Uh, certainly humans always create the algorithms. And I've seen in, in a number of case studies where uh, if you have your analysts who say are creating prices and, and you have your statisticians who are creating models for pricing, if they're working together and they have the same incentives, they start to work in a way that optimizes everybody. Um, Correct. So the, the, the people uh, sit down and help the statisticians build better models and the statisticians help the analysts uh, see things they may have uh, forgotten. Um, I recently read a book uh, called Principles by Ray Dalio. Are you familiar with mm -hmm. that? Yeah. 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 So hedge fund company that revolutionized the industry by essentially taking all of their logical rules for investing and encoding them in algorithms. Um, <laughs> and they have done extremely well. So now they just run these algorithms, but they're always tweaking them. Well, and I would, and I would suggest there's still a human overseer because something can change. And suddenly, maybe that's not the best set of rules or model anymore. And a human might be able to recognize it and the machine may not. Right. Right. Humans are great at understanding exceptions and dealing with those, understanding strategy where there's multiple variables that interplay, Yep. as well as politics that a machine yep. can never quite fathom. So yep. anyway, Alan, we have come to the end of our time. I, I appreciate all of your insights, and I think our audience did too. So thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me, Wayne. It's great talking to you. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.